Oh great, wonderful. More fucking Quidditch. Alright, chapter 10. Uh, it's called... Chapter 10. It's called The Rogue Bludger. That chapter that, that chapter title sounds cool. Until you remember that a bludger is just one of those Quidditch things. So we're just gonna get some more... Boring Quidditch shit, apparently. Can't wait for that. But before that happens, we get some differently boring shit. Uh, we get this tedious scene... Where that dude, Sue Grafton, is teaching, and he's making Harry act out various beasts from his books. And then, like, showing the class how he bravely captured them, or healed them, or did wizard shit on them, or whatever. It's really boring, and it adds literally nothing to his already insanely one-note characterization that we didn't already know. So... But you can, like, feel the narrator being super into how clever the writing is, even though it's not. Like, okay, so, like, this part was so bad that I sat down to read it and record this episode. And I was like, I don't, I don't want to do this. And that's one of the reasons that this episode is so late. Because I don't want to read about this guy or about Quidditch and that's the only thing that I, I know is going to happen here. I don't know why I'm so annoyed. I, I think it's because I want it, like, the book is doing this thing where it's, like, dangling something interesting in front of me. And then it's like, haha, fuck you, you have to read about Quidditch now. I hate that. So, alright, let's 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 just talk about this fucking Sue Grafton guy. First of all, the book seems, like, pretty obviously telegraphing that he didn't actually do any of the shit that he claims that he did. He's pretty transparently full of shit. So if that's the twist, then that twist sucks. But if it turns out he actually did do everything, and that's the twist, then that twist sucks too. Although I would think that's a little more interesting than the other way. But like at this point, the only thing that would be interesting would be a twist in which it turns out that he's like mauled and eaten by a wild animal. Just like, you know, just completely destroyed by one of these things. That would be a fun twist. So then, after class, the three amigos go up to Sue Grafton, and they get him to sign the note that will allow them to check out a book from the library that will show them how to magically shapeshift into any strange form that they want. That's just in the library, but it's in the restricted area. And he doesn't even look at it, he just, like, signs it, because Bossy Girl is like, sign this, you brave man, and he's like, yeah, I will. And then Ron is like... Yeah, he didn't even look at it because he's a total fucking moron. Do you see where this is going? And Bossy Girl is like, he is not a moron. But then the narrator says that she responds shrilly. Like, you know, the narrator does that dumb adverb thing. And like, come on. Like, she's already being annoyingly out of character by liking this Sue Grafton guy in the first place. Apparently her, like, horniness has just forced her to abandon all reason and now the narrator is going to play into the, the shrill woman stereotype. She's mined the depths of the bossy girl narrative, and now we're going to move on to shrill. Maybe later she can be feisty 
and then like eventually hysterical. So like I've thought about the idea that this book is maybe doing this as like a way of subverting it, of like sort of calling attention to these stereotypes. But if that were the case, wouldn't you just have a character being the one doing that? Like the narrator is like, well, so the narrator's like sort of selectively omniscient, but the narration has basically moved into what its typical mode is, which is like a close third person attached to Harry. But it still moves around a little bit. So the choice to have the narrator being the creator of the sexist language makes it seem like it's just Harry's ideological point of view creating this stuff. Like the worldview established surrounding Harry shouldn't be the one that is erecting these obviously sexist stereotypes because he's the one we're supposed to care about and root for, yeah? Like, I don't know, who knows? Maybe there's something that happens later in these books where that perspective gets shattered or something. Or maybe the narrator's trying to, like, subtly show us the way that the actions of people are being filtered in Harry's mind through this, like, gendered lens. But you'd think if that were the case, then the book would be doing this at a time when Harry is starting to come to terms with gender dynamics and, like, relationships and stuff, and he's not at all. They're just, like, in the middle of some harebrained scheme, and Harry is like, bossy girl sure is being shrill. Or the narrator is saying that. I still, I have no idea. Side note, I think it would be cool if the book were doing something where the main female character is just, like, being normal, and then all the male characters are, like, reacting the way they're reacting to her. Like, despite Bossy Girl not doing anything weird, everyone's like, geez, what a shrill woman. But that's not what's happening. Bossy Girl is being actively stupid here, and her character makes no sense. And so if you're going to try to, like, subvert some gendered stereotype, you are doing it terribly. Or or they could do, like, a like a Song of Ice and Fire thing where they, like, switch perspectives. Or, like, a Rashomon thing where it's like, oh, he's interpreting that as shrill, but then... You know, from a different perspective, it's brave. But no, it's just, she's shrill, and she's terrible, and she doesn't understand how the world works, and she sucks. And then, like, she won't give the note to the librarian because she wants to keep Sue Grafton's signature? I don't know. I don't like it. I don't like it. I want to like this character so much, and it's just not happening. But in fairness, in fairness, I don't like her any less than anyone else. And so they get the book, and they take it to the bathroom where the moaning sad ghost is, and because they're just like, let's be super depressed while we read it, apparently. And so they see all these cool illustrations, like a dude who was turned inside out, and a witch with like a bunch of arms sprouting out of her head and shit like that, so that's cool. Honestly, I think I would enjoy that book more than this book. Like, if you're just like, here's grotesque things that people can do in this universe. And so then, of course, it turns out that, like, the potion that they have to do is insanely complicated and is going to take, like, a month to make. And keep in mind that this is a potion that allows them to transform into crappy Dracula kid's friends so that they can ask him whether he is the heir or whether he hates mudbloods or whatever, even though he already told them he does hate mudbloods. Like, that's their fucking plan. Like, seriously, they could just open that potions book to a random page and just do that thing to him, and that plan would be better. Just like, oh, hey, let's turn him inside out. Or, like, let's make a bunch of arms sprout out of his head. Like, th those are both better plans than their plan. And so then Ron, who is the master of the Segway, is like, why don't you just knock him off his broom at your next Quidditch match? And, like, that is, in fact, a far better plan. 
And also, it's a signal that we're going to be really bored by a bunch of Quidditch shit for a while. And so then they're at the pre-Quidditch pep talk, and that Oliver Stone dude is like, okay, so first of all, George W. Bush lied us into a costly war because his parents didn't love him the way they love Jeb. And second, Harry, the thing is, we have to win this game. And because the way this game is designed, it's actually a one-on-one competition disguised as a team sport. And so when I say we, I'm actually just allowing the rest of our team to live and die vicariously through your individual accomplishments. And also, this is like a basically like an like a shitty analogical competition between privilege and innate talent, right? Both of which are total bullshit. And it's like in the most descript in the in the most like heavy-handed description of all time, the team captains are named Wood and Flint. And they are made to shake hands, so you know sparks are gonna fly. And then so of course we get a long, boring description of the so-called action of this idiotic game. And then apparently one of the bludgers just keeps going after Harry and no one else. And and why is that? I don't know. Maybe because this fucking stupid wizard game is rife with cheating and underhanded treachery and literally no fair version of this game seems to exist. And also because the game is so stupid and unbalanced that it becomes easy to exploit its many, many flaws. And then, of course, because this is a very fun and safe game, the bludger knocks directly into Harry and breaks his arm. And here are some actual sentences describing the the action. So strap in and get ready. We're blasting off to prose town. If you, if you want some excitement, here it is. Ready? His arm was hanging at a very strange angle. That's an actual sentence. Here's another one. Harry was forced to do a stupid kind of twirl in midair to dodge the bludger. That's an actual sentence in this book that you have to read if you want to read this book. Here's another one. The rain was falling more heavily now. And so then he captures the snitch and they win. Because this game makes about as much sense as one of those rock and jock basketball games where the team gets down by like 30 points and so they bring out the basket that's like 30 feet in the air and it's like worth 25 points or some shit. Like they were down by 60 and then Harry caught the fucking bird and they won. This game is so fucking stupid. And then of course Harry's arm is broken and so Sue Grafton comes up and is like, don't worry, I got this. And Harry's like, oh no, here it comes. And then he does a spell, and instead of fixing the bone, he makes all the bones in his arms disappear entirely. And so then Harry feels like his arm is a rubber glove because there's no bones. Like, he just got rid of all the bones. And he's like, whoops, that happens sometimes. How is this dude not... Do wizards not have, like, medical malpractice? Like, is that not a thing in the wizard world? And so then that Pomfrey lady is like, oh, I could have fixed this in, like, two seconds, but now it'll take, like, a whole day. And they keep calling his arm rubbery. They're like, well, Harry, he had a rubbery arm. Uh, he had to stick his rubbery, boneless arm into his jacket. And so it's good to see that the author's research into like what would happen if you remove bones from an arm is just as non-existent as her research into literally everything else about how the world works. And so here's here's another weird thing, uh, which is the the lady, that Pomfrey lady, is like, Harry Potter has to regrow 33 bones. That's what she says. She says he has to regrow 33 bones. And I have just been puzzling over this for a while. Because this means... Okay, so all of the bones in his hand are gone. And that's fine. That's 14 phalanges and 5 metacarpal. Alright. And then you got 8 bones in your wrist. So we're at 27. And then there just aren't 6 more bones in your arm. I mean, even if his scapula and his clavicle were both missing... Which, I mean, at that point, like, that's not even your arm. That's just, like, the whole side of your upper body. 
Like, he'd be, like, a, like rubbery into his ribcage. Even if that were the case, you'd still only have 32, so there's a missing bone somewhere. But I think... I don't think his clavicle and his scapula disappeared. I think... Like, right, that's just that's, that's too integral to the structure of the body. So we have 27 in the hand, and then the radius and the ulna, which are in your forearm, and the humerus, which is in the upper arm, that's 30. He's got three more bones? That's another finger. This dude has six fingers. Harry Potter has six fingers. That's as far as I can tell. Here are the competing explanations. Number one, Madame Pomfrit doesn't know how many bones there are in the hand. But, like, 33 is such an oddly specific number, and it's so very close to the correct number. Like, I think, like, if you don't know how many, you're like, I don't know, 7? Or, I don't, I don't know, 14? Although, I guess if you really thought about it, you'd be like, uh, you'd come up with a number around 30. So maybe she really doesn't know. But then, here's the thing. She is a medical professional. And she is literally growing this dude's bones back. So she should know how many bones he has in his arm. She knows the process. So I don't think that's it. And then the other competing explanation is that she does know how many bones he has, but she just lies about it for some reason, which is even weirder, right? Like maybe she's trying to start a rumor that Harry Potter has more bones than other people. Or she's like, fuck these idiots. I'll tell them the incorrect number of bones just to fuck with them. Or, or maybe wizards just like have more bones. Like maybe they have three more bones in their arms than, than normie muggles or whatever. Uh, maybe that's it. That's still pretty fucking weird, though, right? So, I mean, honestly, the most likely explanation, weirdly enough, is that Harry Potter has six fingers. But actually, if you want to get technical, he probably has two thumbs, because one more, like, finger finger would be four more bones. But your thumb has three bones. I think he has two thumbs. And it's also, I don't know, I'm, I'm still ambivalent on whether he has six fingers on both hands, or, like, you know, six on each, or, uh, just, like, the the one that, that Dunn disappeared, you know, just like maybe just had an extra finger. But you'd think that if that were like, if it were like obvious that he had like six fingers, then like crappy Dracula kid would have made fun of him for that, you know? Like he'd be like, ah, you have six fingers and your family isn't financially stable. And so that's leading me down this rabbit hole of like, maybe everyone has six fingers, you know? Like maybe this is a universe full of six fingered people to the extent like it's, it's so common that it's unremarkable. But then that, that second theory, that is immediately crushed, and I'll tell you why. So remember that weird slave elf? He comes back. Remember that guy? Uh, he, like, shoved himself into an oven door or whatever. So he's back, and he's just, like, there for some reason. Like, who the fuck let you in? Weird slave elf. And so he explains that he was the one who prevented uh, Harry from getting on the train platform. Like, yeah, no shit, dude. He's like, I had to punish myself, so I ironed my own fingers. And then it says he showed Harry ten bandaged, disgusting fingers. And it's like, oh, interesting. Dobby has the correct number of fingers. And anyone else in this room want to show me their fingers? No? Didn't think so. The clues are there, people! Open your eyes! Open your eyes! I'm... I'm really sorry for that terrible Alex Jones impression that you had to just listen to. And then Dobby is like, okay, but I never imagined that you would have figured out a, some other way to get to Hogwarts. Like, wow, really, Dobby? You suck at imagining things. And then he talks some more about how he's, like, constantly abused by his owners. And Harry gets all mad at him and threatens him. And Dobby's like, you think threats work on me? I iron my own goddamn hands, bro. What are you going to do? And then Dobby explains that he wears a pillowcase because if his masters gave him clothes, he'd be free. 
That's weird. And then he's like, so the wall thing didn't work, and neither did the bludger. Damn it, I suck at this. And oh, by the way, yeah, I was the one that did the bludger thing. And then he, like, hits himself in the head with a vase, because he sucks it. His harebrain schemes. And then there's, like, this weird discussion about how elf lives were really bad under Voldemort and are better now that, like, Harry is ascendant and Voldemort isn't around to terrorize them. But it's like, dude, your circumstances don't sound too great now, to be honest with you. You have, like, these people that are constantly threatening to kill you. They're constantly abusing you. You're constantly abusing yourself. What more could, could Voldemort's addition into your life, into your material circumstances, what more terror could he have possibly wrought? But we don't find out. And then Harry overhears some people carrying something, and it turns out that it's Mumblecore and Catwoman, and they're carrying a petrified Colin Creepy? And Mumblecore is like, this definitely means that the Chamber of Secrets is open. And then Catwoman is like, but who? And Mumblecore looks down at Colin Creepy, and he's like, not who, but how? And then Harry's like, oh shit! What does that mean? 